Tonight on the show, we talk the KKK, Mac the Knife, and the boys from Angel Beach. So saith the shepherd, so saith the flock. Welcome to the Porky's Trilogy. This one's for you, Dad. This is Manic Movie Monday. For the touch of your lips, dear But much more for the touch of your whips, dear You can raise welts like nobody else As we dance to the masochism tango Happy Porky's Day, Ron! Happy Porky's Day. Yay! So excited. It's been a while. Dude, I know. I think the last thing we recorded was graduation day. It was. It was. Um, we all know what a shit show that was. <laughs> yeah, that was that. Yeah, it was that episode, wasn't it? Where it we was. had all the. Oh, man. Where we kept going up. But you know what? I listened to it the other day and I actually, it, you salvaged it perfectly. So there was no problems. So this is a special broadcast for us for one, because this was your dad's favorite movie, right? Yes. This was a very special movie. For my dad, um, for my my dad and me, um, mm. as far as uh, we'll just say that you know, it, <laughs> in an effort not to make my parent not to make my relationship with my father sound wildly inappropriate, the USA Network version was okay. a movie, you know, trilogy or what have you that my my father and I watched together uh, a lot. A lot. Okay. This is also a special broadcast because this is the first time we're doing three whole movies yes. in one sitting. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, Porky's lends itself to that. The first two movies are literally uh, day one, day two. And then Porky's three takes place when um, our cast is graduating from high school. So I think um, it's an appropriate one to do three movies in one sitting because they're all very much tied to one another. Yeah. It's really not to offend any sci-fi fans out there or any fantasy fans out there, but it really is the only trilogy I give a fuck about. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> I, I can't share that. But, I know. Um, I know. That's, that's why. That's cool. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a good choice. That's a good choice. If you're only going to have one. Right. Right. Let's see. We have a lot to cover here. Yes. Uh, so let's do our individual backgrounds with this movie. Okay, uh, I'll let you go first. Oh, you want me to go first? Okay. You go first this time. That's so sweet. Um, Yes. So my background, it started off with me stealing my brother's VHS copy of Porky's Revenge. Mm. And not really seeing anything beyond the opening graduation sequence Mm. with Kim Evanson's breasts. Okay. That was the only reason... I stole that copy of that movie was so I could watch the opening, which was so dirty, you know, or so I had kind of built it into my brain to be dirty. In fact, my Mandela effect with that movie was that I remember that being a full frontal nudity scene and she only shows her breasts and literally she shows one boob actually. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I remember it being way more explicit, but it's not. So you were how old? Oh, let's see. If I was stealing it from my brother's room, I was probably seven or eight. Ooh, okay. I know. I I really, you know, the more that we 
do episodes on movies and stuff, the more I realize that my childhood was wildly inappropriate. Yeah, that that goes for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess my 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 major exposure to the trilogy was USA Network. Mm. USA Network specifically during holiday weekends, whether it was Labor Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July, they would show all three movies. It was usually a Saturday or a Sunday and they showed them back to back. And so that is where I got introduced to the boys from Angel Beach. Uh, and that is where I developed a mad crush on Tommy Turner played mm. by White Knight. I thought he was the end all be all of boys. <laughs> really? Wow. So everyone else was going for like heartthrobs like Rob Lowe and or Corey uh, Feldman or Corey yeah. Haim or the and Corey's you, in general, right? And, and I you were like, Tommy Turner. Okay. I was Tommy Turner. Um, wit plus smarts plus a sexy smile. And I'm pretty, that's my kryptonite. That's mm. it. So, and then later on when I was, I guess, allowed to rent the movies in their entirety, the big draw really was male nudity. I, I mean, it, it, that was, this is the first movie that I had seen from the sex comedies of the 80s where male nudity was prominently featured yeah um, and kind unique. of dwarfed the female nudity in it yeah <laughs> there was way more male nudity so you know i thought it was i thought it was a a bold statement uh by the filmmakers to do that because it was not something that was done at the time i mean revenge of the nerds is a full frontal nudity movie but it is full frontal female um, I mean, there's no, not so much as a man's ass in that, uh, and, and, and male nudity in general, I will say this male nudity in general in that time period was usually played for laughs. Mm, right, it wasn't yeah. played in a sort of natural environment. It right. was played for like, you know, mooning. It was like men would moon. There you, you go. Know? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this was one of the first movies where it was just like, Oh, holy wow i mean we're talking about a lineup of guys yep buck ass naked <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yes that is my background with this film okay and this, this trilogy and I, we talked about this a little bit offline that version as you recall is the same just edited for content yes in fact like we can do i can actually do the edits by um by movie like as far as what was cut out and what was put in okay. or whatever but okay. like for instance for the original when tommy sticks his dick in the hole yeah it's just that he sticks his tongue in the mm. hole and she okay. pulls on his tongue not his dick <laughs> okay so and obviously okay all of the male nudity is completely cut out wow. um in part two the graveyard gloria sequence is heavily edited to only include her kind of trying to seduce peewee and then literally it cuts to way after that like okay absolutely no nudity whatsoever in the usa version and then in part three same 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 deals just just the no nudity thing and i think they cut out the the scene where they're watching the x-rated film and they get caught that's yeah. completely cut out like oh. all you see is ball bricker go near the library and hear and hear the audio from it and then it cuts to the principal's office interesting yes 
I can't remember what I ate for lunch last Thursday, but I can remember <laughs> what was cut out of a film that I saw 30 years ago. It's beautiful. <laughs> Brain is a beautiful thing. All right. On to you. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking what? What Porky's was 80. The original, the first was 82 or 83. 81. 81. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm pretty sure my first experience with Porky's was probably on cable. It was not like an HBO or something. It definitely wasn't a censored version. Mm. I believe maybe Porky's 2 and Porky's Revenge might have been like USA. Okay. Uh, but the original was definitely something that, because uh, I remembered all the swearing. I remembered the male nudity, like the scene at the the swamp shack with Webster's mom uh, was, uh, you know, I, I remembered that pretty vividly. <laughs> Cherry Forever, who will now be, who, who for this pur- purpose of this podcast will now be known as Webster's mom. Yeah, we can talk about her in a little bit. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I saw a very graphic or the graphic version of Porky's, um, Porky's 2, Porky's 3. I don't think I did, but eventually did at some point, probably also on cable. I always had, I, I, in my head, uh, 2 and 3 sort of got jumbled together. Mm-hmm. So this was a good uh, revisit and definitely... Uh, very discernible from one another and my affinity for porkies is very much tied to my love of a christmas story mm-hmm. who which was also directed by bob clark and revisiting porkies or porkies one and porkies two especially there are so many similarities between a christmas story and these two movies the nudity aside you know the teen sex aspect of it but the nostalgia aspect, the the culture of the fifties, they're very prominent in in both storylines, and I think it's something that the director has, Bob Clark. It just it, it's part of who he is as a director. He should be applauded for it, like how well he captures that time frame. Yeah, he. It's amazing how he is able to really capture that nostalgia um, in a way that makes those movies timeless, even though they were shot in the eighties, basically. Yeah. Um, They look cinematography wise. They look, they, you know, they don't look dated. They do not have a dated look to them. Right. They are, they are in a word timeless. Now, of course we forgot to give the plot of Porky's. If you, (laughs) first of all, if you haven't seen this movie, you're probably not listening to this podcast for the sake of this, for the sake of historical accuracy, the plot of the original Porky's is it's a 1981 sex comedy from Bob Clark about the fictional escapades of teenagers in 1954 at Angel Beach High School in Florida. Angel Beach was a fictional uh, high school or beach in general, but it, what was used for it was Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and Hollywood, Florida. Yeah, which is something that totally escaped me as the first time I watched it. I did not equate Angel Beach with Florida. I, I don't know what I thought, where I thought it was. I guess probably did, did a swampy state. 
Did you think it was Canada? Because there are actual people nope. who have been quoted as saying that this film, this movie was filmed in Canada. And they're nope. just like, nope. <laughs> I know it is one of the most successful to this day Canadian films. Yes. However, um, no. Um, I did not think it was in Canada, but I did think it was probably like Alabama or Mississippi or a swampy state. I didn't think it was Florida for some reason, even though they talk about Florida in probably every movie uh in some regard like in a passing comment so carefully shot uh to not like show anything modern aspects of miami um the park that they used for the exteriors of porkies is very much like it is in the film for a very long time cool all right should we talk about this cast yeah holy fuck okay because this is like i mean the cast of the original who most probably about 90% of the cast from the original comes into and Porky's two. And then in Porky's three, it gets down to, I think like five of the original guys. So, so the big six Pee Wee Mm -hmm. played by Dan Monahan. Yep. Uh, All of these actors uh, for the most part had theater backgrounds hired based upon the fact that they had backgrounds in theater. They were all, in their 20s, early 20s, mid 20s. The youngest of all of the actors was Meat, i.e. Really? Tony, Tony Ganios was the youngest. He was 21. Mm. The oldest was Scott Columbia, who played Brian. He was, by the time Billy and Brian uh, reach Porky's Revenge, they are well into their 30s. Okay. So, yeah, Dan Monahan went on to do a couple other Bob Clark movies. He did a movie mm-hmm. called From the Hip with Judd Nelson. He did a movie called Baby's Day Out, which I haven't seen, (laughs) even though I'm a Bob Clark fan. And then he just, you know, retired, did his thing, made a family and all that good stuff. Okay. Tommy Turner played by Aaron's heartthrob, Wyatt Knight. Wyatt Knight, the late great, rest in peace, Wyatt Knight. He was a theater actor and later on went on to do, he did some other TV stuff, but for the most part, he just you know, took his Porky's money and retired like a lot of them did. Billy played by Mark Harrier, uh, became a film director. He did a wonderful horror film that I love and have such great reverence for, which is called popcorn. Okay. And he is on a show called Bosch, which apparently lots of people like. <laughs> yes, that, that is true. A lot of people do like Bosch. I it did is know a, that. Yeah. Uh, Tim, played by Cyril O'Reilly, went on to do Airplane. Mm-hmm. He it was in Bloody Birthday. Okay. And um, he recently is uh, going to be doing a movie in 2023, I think. So he's still acting. So he's still, he's still doing his stuff. Mickey, played by Roger Wilson. This is funny. So when I'm watching the movie... I look up Mickey's information. I look up Roger Wilson's information and I see that he has dated a variety of supermodels. Mm. And I'm like, that's interesting. And I said to my partner, I said, you know, he must be bringing the good dick. And he goes, maybe. And I looked him up. He is one of the heirs to one of the largest oil refineries in North America. Wow. (laughs) So- Bringing the cash and the dick. However, yeah. he was 
they said that, uh, you know, he did the movie because he wanted to do the movie. He didn't need to do the movie, you know, but was still one of the nicest people, you know, and, and uses his money for good over the years. Meet, played by Tony Ganios, had started off in a movie, a cult classic film called The Wanderers. And ended up later on doing Rising Sun and Die Hard 2. So oh, he was in Die Hard 2? Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the henchmen. Okay. And then Brian, played by Scott Columbia, um, of course, was coming hot off of Caddyshack. Right. So, you know, he he continued to act and continues to act. Wendy, our sole female, definitely one of my favorite characters. Khaki Hunter. She went on to become a whitewater rafting instructor in Utah. And did I, I kind of read, I, I wasn't sure how true this was. She left acting after the third Porky's after movie? After the third one, yeah. She retired. Okay. She had done another movie called Roadies and earlier, and she was where she was one of the leads. And then she did the Porky's trilogy, and then she was like, I'm out. So okay. she Porky, played by Chuck Mitchell. Uh, he kind of reprised that same sort of role in Better Off Dead. Oh, as the burger owner, burger joint owner that Lane Meyer gets a job at briefly. <laughs> was he someone that had notoriety? Like he seemed like the type of person that was like had some notoriety before. He Porky's. was a well-known comedian. Oh. So he was like a well-known in the comedy world. Um, and not really like hadn't really done a whole lot of acting acting. So he did the Porkies and he pretty much reveled in the fact that his, that he was named, that the movie is named after him. Mm. So he drove around in a Cadillac with a license plate that said Porkies. It said Porky on it. So yeah. Um, Was it it pink? I don't, you know what? I don't know. I didn't get that far in the information. Now I feel bad, but yeah, I, I have to look that up, but his brother in the movie the sheriff of Wallace Town himself, Alex Karras, Webster's dad. Maybe you know the answer. He and the actress are married. Uh, the Susan actress- Clark. Yes. yes. Cherry were, Forever and were the they sheriff married? of Wallace Town. Were they married at the time of this? Did they were meet married? on this? Yes, they met before this. They were okay. married. They were married and they were married all the way up until Alex Karras' death. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was curious because, um, yeah, I knew that they were married when they did Webster, but I did not know, at, you know, if this was maybe the point at which they met one another. And uh, wouldn't that be sweet? But I will say that Surreal O'Reilly, who plays Tim, did meet his wife on the set of Porky's. She oh. was the makeup artist, and they are, I think, according to what I've read, that they're still married. Nice. All so. right. So, yes. And then, of course, Miss Honeywell, played by Kim Cattrall, who is easily the most famous of all of the cast members. Yeah. Mannequin, Sex in the City, and most recently just famous for hating Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> so yes. That seems to be what seems to be Kim Cattrall's uh, hard line right now. Um, so did she I, you know, I don't know a lot about Kim Cattrall, mm-hmm. um, but did she inherit like her? I guess the stereotype of her being like very sexual, this role, like did that, did this lay the foundation for her to always be cast in that kind of role? Not necessarily. Um, because in mannequin, she's fairly reserved. Okay. I don't remember mannequin hardly at all. Mannequin. She's kind of girl next door ish. Okay. Like the girl next door was a mannequin. 
you know, she's not like particularly sexually aggressive in that film. Okay. Um, and as a matter of fact, in um, in Big Trouble in Little China, she is also the girl oh, next door. She is in that. That's right. I forgot she's in she that is, movie. She is not. You know, I can tell you that when she did Sex in the City, she also at the same time came out with a book about sex with her ex-husband who i i don't know if they're still married but i know at the time she was with a gentleman and they came up with a you know sex and <laughs> kind of how-to book around the same time as sex in the city so i was trying to that's too early for that i know i was just gonna say that i was like this is not his time we have this a long way why, to go this is why we can't have nice things right here and we're back. I was going to ask, I was trying to think about what gave Porky's its notoriety. Like, it, I think it's like Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Caddyshack. You know, every one of those films has a, something about it that cre- creeps into the national cultural lexicon. Yes. And I was wondering with this, is it the Lassie scene that is what's associated with Porky's or is it the shower scene? I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B to be Mm. honest with you. I think the reason that this movie is really held to high regard by not just you and me is because it tackles some really big themes in part one and part two. And so, which we'll talk about when we, when we get to that, but like, I think that that's what keeps it as solid as it is because a lot of 80s sex comedies are very throwaway. I mean, they are. It's like, oh, okay, here's another movie about men that are going to sexually coerce women. You know, here's another movie about men who want to lose their virginity. You know, I mean, there were enough of those, enough of those almost that there was like a glut. Um, They're forgettable. You know, Screwballs is a forgettable movie. Yeah. Sorry. But it is. <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds recently came under scrutiny for obvious reasons. You know, a lot of these movies have that. Whereas Porky's, if you took away the shower scene and yeah. you took away Lassie, right? That film is still a solid film about brotherhood, loyalty, and friendship. Yeah. I think that's probably why, for me, I have a fonder regard. Not that I dislike these other movies. When I think about 80s movies in this vein, sex comedies, Porky's is one that I don't have a feeling of a shame, I guess, about still having right, an appreciation for. Right, like you're for. watching Hard Bodies, yes. and you're like, ooh. Yeah, because I mean, you're, if you're watching women in the shower, you're, obviously, you're, you're gross. You're gross. And even Mark Harrier, who played Billy, said in a recent interview in 2022, he said, you know, he's like, this does not age well. This particular scene does not age well. It is misogynistic. It, you know, women are not objects, you know, I I mean, he talks about that. But once again, these are products of their time. Yeah for better, for worse, getting back to, there's like only like four more members of the cast. Um, as far as like people that actually went on to do other things, um, Roy, that would be the coach who has sex with Honeywell, uh, up in the, the boys locker room. Uh, Roy was played by Boyd Gaines and Boyd Gaines was in the sure thing. And he's also 
the winner of four Tony Awards. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, him. He's like, he's like a serious theater actor. <laughs> I could kind of see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because he has that scene where he's like, you know, call me Roy. I'm only 23, for God's sakes. In fact, he was 26. (laughs) (laughs) So you have him. You have the deputy, Mickey's brother, played by Art Hendel. Art Hendel is basically Canada's answer to, I guess it would be like like a Dennis Quaid kind of guy at the time. So like he did... Black Christmas. He did Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes. He did The Brood for Cronenberg. And he went on to do, there was a Canadian soap opera that he was on for a long time too. So he's a, he's like a big Canadian actor guy. And then last but not least, well, no, we got Ball Bricker. Ball Bricker, played by Nancy Parsons, who could not have been sweeter to everybody else, was in a movie called Motel Hell. Yep. Prominently featured in her overalls. Love it. Yep. When they had her come back for Porky's Revenge, she had lost a whole bunch of weight. I was going to mention that. I, you know, she is noticeably thinner and they try to hide it with some really bulky sweatshirts. Bulky, and, bulky clothing. In yeah. fact, they had her come back for part three and they basically just, they promised her a percentage of the, of the gross is what mm. happened. They gave her points on the back end because she was like, eh, I guess, you know, <laughs> like, I guess I'll come yeah. back. But, and then last but not least, we have Principal Carter, the lovely, amazing Mr. Eric Christmas. Yep. I have some notes about him. I love him so much. He is in one of my favorite movies of all time, Harold and Maude. Yeah. And uh, just an amazing, amazing actor. And that is it for the cast. Yes. All right. Good job. Yay. The behind the scenes of this stuff is amazing. I listened to several podcasts and different interviews and things just to get some background on this because I knew that it was shot in Florida and I knew that Bob Clark had shot it. And I knew that the guys were pretty solid as far as their friendships were concerned off camera. Um, but I did tell. not, I, yeah, I mean, even in something like Porky's revenge, which even the actors themselves said is a paycheck movie. They basically, they were like, it's a paycheck movie. We were in our thirties, <laughs> you know, it's time to hang it up. <laughs> we were done, but we're going to, you know, we, we figured it was a good way to send everybody off. So they actually, uh, all six of them lived in the same house on the beach wow. for eight weeks and Pee Wee and Tommy, uh, room together. So they became best friends. Billy was one of the roommates and he was also the the three that have remained the closest over the years were Billy, Tommy, and Pee Wee. They, so they rehearsed for two weeks before they actually started shooting. And they said, what people see on film is how they were in real life. The only two people that didn't live in the house where they lived in was Wendy and Brian. They separated Brian, Scott Columbia, just to because when you start the film, Brian yeah. is not part of the crew. Right. They did mostly night shoots. In fact, if you watch the Porky's movies, most of them take place at night. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of a couple of day times. But for the most part, they went, they would go to set at 4:30 and 5 o'clock. They would shoot all night. Then they'd be wide awake. Then they'd party or go play golf. And then they'd sleep all day and lather, rinse, repeat. 
the first movie, they all lived together. The second movie, they lived at a place called the Jockey Club, which was in Miami Beach. And then yeah. by the third movie, they were at the Key Biscayne Hotel. Oh, very nice. Which is very nice. But originally, the script for Porky's was so explicit that the actors themselves were kind of like, I don't know if we can do this. In fact, Billy's girlfriend in real life looked at the script, the original script, and said, don't do this. Please don't do this. <laughs> this <Really>? is terrible. <laughs> this is misogynistic. You cannot do this movie. And he says, well, you know, he's like, I won the argument. But one of the things that they did was they went to Bob Clark as a collective and they said, listen, like, we want to do the movie, but perhaps we could do this stuff in a different way. And Bob Clark was 100% amenable to listening to notes. If they had ideas, he would have them run it in front of him. And if he liked it, he would use it. Uh, so he let them improvise a lot and was very uh, supportive of that kind of an environment with their acting. The reason that Billy got his job was because Boyd Gaines, who plays Roy, was on was going on an audition and he asked Billy to do his lines with him. He said, will you come be my scene partner? And they need someone with kind of a Southern accent. So if you listen, like if you watch the movie, Billy has the strongest Southern accent of all of them. Right. He does. Right. Well, except for Mickey. <laughs> well, yeah. Mickey is more like super redneck. Whereas yeah, Billy like North is Florida. Billy's more of like, sort of like a gentleman Southerner, if you will. So, so they went to, they went to shoot and, you know, he kind of, and Bob Clark liked him, but originally Tommy Turner was supposed to be played by Dennis Quaid. Oh God. And Dennis Quaid, thankfully turned down the role. And so Bob Clark was like, okay, so I'm going to give Tommy's role to white Knight, And then I want this guy to play Billy. And we're going to ch change the whole dynamic of the group. Wow. And that is it for the background. It says it's totally it for the background. So we'll talk about like why we why we like this movie or nay, why we like any of them. Okay. Uh, Bob Clark, obviously I talked about like um, my affinity for his capturing of nostalgia. I did not know he was a New Orleanian. Um, ah. So that's pretty incredible to see I'm, i was kind of wondering if maybe he was acadian because um it's a canadian movie and i was like well maybe bob clark's family emigrated from canada to louisiana hmm. maybe he's acadian i've never seen an interview with bob clark i don't know if he spoke with a, a louisiana draw or not but a little bit a little? very 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 faint Having watched a few interviews with him, especially when he talks about Black Christmas, which is probably my favorite horror film of all time. Yeah. Um, he kind of has it. He is a very, very deep voice and had had like a very light, you know, they were talking about how even though a lot of this is based on his own experience in Florida and growing yeah. up in Florida, he was not aligned with the good old boy mentality of florida he wanted to write about it but that he was against racism against anti-semitism so that was one of my questions for you is that incorporated into porkies and porkies too because of like his, he was passionate it was a passionate subject for him yes it was okay that's why he wrote that's why both part one and part two are they have you know 
part of why I think I prefer part one and part two over part three, despite nostalgia, because part three is the first one I ever watched, is because of the messages that Mm. came from that. In part one, you know, you had Tim who starts the movie off as basically a racist anti-Semite character and then ends the movie going against his racist anti-Semite father and becoming friends with abusive father Ryan. Oh, incredibly abusive father who has a very young girlfriend. Right. The girl on the back of his dad's bike. Serious. First, I thought when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's it's his little sister. <laughs> and then I realized that is straight up his girlfriend slash wife slash concubine, whatever. But clearly under not much older than he is. Nope. nope. <laughs> Maybe not even as old as he is. Not even as old as Tim. Not even close to as old as Tim. So yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of things about the messaging, and this is probably my ignorance. I was not aware and I have not researched it, so I'm still unaware. Are the KKK or or white nationalists against indigenous Americans? They're against anyone that's not white. Okay. So this is something I didn't know. And I think this is probably the only film that I have seen that portrayal. No. And as somebody who used to live very close to one of the only white supremacists full neighborhoods that... 100% 100% had KKK uh, flags all around. I can say that that is still very prevalent in Florida. Yes. Huge. Especially in central <laughs> North Florida. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like uh, when you get off of the interstate and start taking the roads through the like swamps or orange yep. groves, you will definitely encounter that. Alligator um, alley. Wall to wall racist. You heard it here. <laughs> So, yes, that's something I did not know. The other thing that, that, though probably realistic, that bothered me about the first film in particular is when the fight happens between Tim, Tim and Brian. And, Tim and Brian. And the the group is cheering on Tim. They are. Um, that troubles me. I think it was probably realistic. I think that is realistic. I think that would happen. Yeah, in a wider context. I don't like that messaging Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I was Brian that I would be okay with that. Yes. In particular, it's funny you should mention this. So I have a favorite character and a least favorite character for each of the movies. And in Mm -hmm. part one, my least favorite character is Pee Wee for the fact that like, he's obviously this overzealous sex starved. Okay. (laughs) Not, not, I mean, not just like sex, you know, like curious, uh, or typical teenage boy, but like a complete psychotic when it comes to sex and to, and to women. Yeah. Um, in part every, one, every thought is mind like, you yeah. in part one, what he also is, is a fierce defender of Tim before they actually go to fight in the schoolyard. Tim starts fighting with Brian. Basically, Tim makes an anti-Semitic remark mm-hmm. and Brian corrects like, him. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Brian corrects him and they start sort of start to fight. And then Tim's like, you know, out front, three o'clock, no teachers. You know, I'll see you there. He walks off and then Brian looks back and Pee Wee says, asshole. Now, 
I thought originally that Pee Wee was saying asshole to Tim. But in fact, if you watch the fight scene, he's the one who's cheering on Tim. He's the one who says, get him, Timmy. And is absolutely like is very much supportive of the fight and is on Tim's side. Whereas Billy and Tommy have a tendency to like, they kind of cheer him on, but then they kind of go, uh, yeah, he's not He's not going to win this fight. <laughs> like, he was the tides like, have turned very quickly. Yeah. He says, this guy, he's like, this guy's a ringer. This guy's and a then ringer. afterwards he's like, he's like, nice try, Tim. <laughs> um, which kind of the reason the one of the reasons i really love this movie is uh the the theme of friendship and the theme of loyalty mm-hmm. that they all have towards each other and one of the things is at the very end of porky's one before they go and destroy porky's you know porky's <laughs> lair billy and tommy are both at the prom and tim's dad shows up and tim stands up to him and the dad gets carted off to jail and Billy and Tommy turned to Tim and said, you know, you can stay with Tim, you know, you can stay with, um, you know, Tommy or I, as long as you want. Yeah. You know, there's this solidness to their friendship that is so amazing. And it makes sense that off camera, you know, Mark and Wyatt were best friends. Yeah. For you know. That's another element of this movie that I think escapes a lot of teen sex comedies is that there is a depth to yes. each of these characters yes. that is redemptive regardless, you know, in, in lieu of all of their teenage hormones, like there's a depth to all of them. Uh, absolutely. And I think it, it really comes through in the movies. I mean, mm-hmm. in general, what they were talking about during the interview that I heard with, with Dan Monahan, IE Wee, and Wyatt Knight, IE Tommy was, they were talking about how like part one is kind of like in terms of a relationship, you're falling in love with one another. And then part two, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're solid. Things are good. And then part three is like, you know, each other, so incredibly well yeah that you're finishing each other's sentences and that is very true with part two and part three with those two characters because they do finish each other's sentences <laughs> that's um, true and so yeah like that's where where's peewee peewee's my least favorite character in part one um he redeems himself for me in part two well i would like to talk about what your favorite scene is in part one Ooh. Oh my goodness. Okay. Honestly, it's gotta be Susan Clark is cherry forever going down the lineup of men and, and saying different things to them. Um, and, uh, and I always thought that was really funny. And then I like the fact that like Tommy and Billy are basically in the other room howling with laughter. <laughs> yes. And then they, you know, they play this whole joke of, of, you know, Tommy getting murdered by an angry husband. Um, and just, just, it's so funny and it's so over the top. And that's one of the things I really love about it. Also, I think I do love the ending where Porky gets his comeuppance mm. and the fact that they beat the shit out of his car. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he did with 
with Mickey's car. And the other thing that I really like about part one is I love Billy. Billy's my favorite character of part one. Okay. And a uh, close second to Tommy, but Billy is my favorite because Billy is probably with the exception of the fact that he does participate in the shower scene. He is probably the most respectful of all of them. And that seems evidence. to be the yeah. most grounded culturally. Like, yeah. 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 So he's in a relationship with a girl named Jenny and in, and when Pee Wee says, you know, Billy, Jenny just went into the shower. He says, you're not allowed to look at her with her clothes on. You're yeah. not allowed to think about her with her clothes off. <laughs> so he's obviously respectful in that respect. And then later on during the scene where Tim's dad shows up the first time on his motorcycle with his underage girlfriend and he has the beer in his hand and they start to fight. Billy says, Jenny, take the girls inside. And I always thought that was that was just I don't know. It was just like a little it was like a little touch of why yeah. I liked Billy in the first one. So that's it. Those are mine. OK, what are yours? What's your right, favorite my, scene? My favorite scene is is, is Pee Wee running naked down the dirt road. <laughs> That's my favorite scene. Which Where follows. The cops are like, oh, yeah. I wonder what his story is. Yeah, can't wait to hear this one. There's a few other things that I really loved about the movie. I like that Pee Wee does get small wins. It's not just Pee Wee bashing the whole movie. It's true. Which I think normally, like when you have a character like Pee Wee, it's like, like for hard bodies, for instance, European vacation, Rusty is is constantly like just not getting any love. Like he's oh, the, he's oh, a degenerate. Oh. Rags, rags in hard right. bodies. Yes. Oh, Malachi. Yes, Malachi. Malachi. Yes. <laughs> so, and I like that Pee Wee is able to have small wins. I, I, and like I think a less talented writer probably would have just Pee Wee bashed the whole movie. Mm -hmm. I liked that when this is a small detail and it just goes to show how detail focused they were in the filming of this movie. It's just not a stupid sex comedy when Porky and his brother have to push the Porky mobile back to the county line. <laughs> there is a huge water spot in the middle of the road where the radiator radiator had been shot. And I don't think most people would have picked up on the like they just shot the radiator. We need to have a huge water spill here because mm -hmm. it's just not part of the story. Right. Um, but they, they included it. And like, I don't know if they really shot the radiator. I'm thinking they probably really did. That's interesting um, that you should say that because I so, as someone who has watched this movie with a fine tooth comb, yeah. I fucking didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wow, there is a <laughs> wow. huge water. And that's like, wow, they, they thought that through. Maybe they really shot the car. And I think only in the first Porky's movie, correct me if I'm wrong, we broke the fourth wall at the end of the movie. Oh, where Tommy looks at the camera and goes, yeah. sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that happens in any of the other films. And this is also where our war between Tommy and Ball Bricker begins. Yes, this is true. And this carries through every, every movie. It's probably really the only theme that carries through every movie. One other note I had about this movie, and I didn't notice it in the other two films, especially at the beginning when the boys are outside daytime at high school, Angel High or Angel Beach High, the miking sounds weird. It's almost like it's overdubbed. Oh, you think it's 80 yard? I don't know. Like, it doesn't sound natural, but I couldn't pick up on anything being out of sync. So mm -hmm. I was like, it just sounds weird. It doesn't sound like it was recorded outside. There's no ambient sound. 
Right. Which is weird. Maybe well, that's what's- Yeah, I was going to think, I was thinking, the only thing I could possibly think of is that, is that because it was shot outside that they had to ADR later? Maybe. I don't know. And I don't notice it in any of the other movies. Either that or I just uh, get adjusted to it and I didn't really pick up on it. But Okay. And another thing that we talked about offline is whether or not this is the origin of calling restaurant pranking a la Bart Simpson. Oh, the, the Mike Hunt thing. Yeah. Michael Hunt. Yeah. Which I thought for sure. See if if Mike Hunt's in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I assumed that that was probably very common. I don't know if it was so crass or, or (laughs) that. Probably Um, not. But I could have swore there was a second incident of this in the movie. Oh, Um, see, that's your Mandela effect. It is. And I feel like it was another dirty version of something. That's interesting. Okay. I'm wondering if, if Bart Simpson doing it is if it demonstrates that Matt Groening had a very similar Uh cranky teenage time, or if this, that was an homage to Porky's. Very interesting. I did not think about that connection at all, but now that makes a lot of sense. That they... it's the only two for me mm-hmm. where that's happened. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about that being a connection between the Simpsons later on and yeah. and Porky's earlier. That's pretty cool. One of the things I like about the movies is that so Porky's one allows all of the Porky's movies allow different people to shine. Yes. In Porky's one, it's it's pretty solid as Tommy and Brian later. And then Porky's two, it's Wendy and Pee-wee. And then Porky's three, it's Meat and Billy. So you've got kind of like, you have sort of like an A storyline and a B storyline going on in each movie. Yeah. Uh, which I dig. I totally dig because they fit so much into... Basically, these are 90 minute movies. You know, these right. aren't like Apatow two and a half hour epic comic films. These are these are 90 minute movies and they fit so much in that 90 minutes. Agreed. I would I, I do. I will say the third one feels very long. Oh, does it? That's interesting. OK, so we could we could definitely talk about that. OK, so Por- oh, wait, one more thing. Wait, are you we're still on Porgies? OK, one last thing. Last thing. <laughs> Do you have a favorite line from Porky's? Yes, I do. All right, I, I need to know what it is. I absolutely do. What is your favorite line? Oh, come on, Pee-wee. Even a nymphomaniac has standards. My favorite line happens, it, it's from Pee-wee, and it's when Meat is at Deadbeats, the, the restaurant, bar, whatever it is, inebriated, and the cops come in, yeah. and they threaten to arrest the whole group for commiserating and his drunkenness and peewee in perfect timing dreams out smashed son of a bitch does it all the time yes i love oh it like it's such perfect timing like he just flips see like, yes but that is another example of the loyalty and brotherhood that they show in that scene because yeah. you know meat face plants into a thing of chili <laughs> right and billy immediately says Tommy, will you get me some sugar cubes? Yeah. And then Tommy says, our friend is a diabetic. (laughs) And then Billy says, how many cubes of sugar is required to bring Anthony out of his whatever diabetic stupor? And he's like, two 
cubes of sugar is needed to bring Anthony out of it. And their their comedic timing in that scene is so choice. Like Porky's, the original Porky's is lightning in a bottle. It is. It really is. All right. I'm ready to move on now. Okay. Okay. So part two, everyone pretty much returns from part one with the exception of coach Roy, because he's been fired. He was fired. (laughs) Honeywell gone. For all we know, they went off and got married. Porky himself is not in part two, even though it is called Porky's two the next day. Porky is nowhere to be found. Yeah. Um, So none of the ancillary to that. So no Sheriff Wallace. No, right. Cherry Cherry Forever has been replaced with Graveyard Gloria, a circus slash belly dancer performer. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. Um, And we also get more of Steve. Okay. Steve makes his, yes. We get more Steve in part two. Um, Was Steve in the first one? He's in it. He's naked in it. And he's one of the people that she grabs his, she okay. grabs his cock and says, cough. <laughs> okay. That's Steve. Okay. <laughs> and then he giggles <laughs> because Steve doesn't really have any lines in the first one. Okay. Um, but he's kind of ancillary. Like he, he appears. So the plot of part two is the religious right and the Ku Klux Klan attempt to shut down Angel Beach High's Shakespeare Festival and only our gang can stop them. Right. So we start out with a protest about the play Shakespearean play because it's so dirty dirty and this is the religious right filth filth (laughs) Filth. so saith the flock so saith the shepherd (laughs) so saith the flock my favorite line from the movie so and then somehow the Ku Klux Klan get involved because we have indigenous american has us has a makeout scene i guess he's romeo yeah john um, henry is playing is yes. is playing romeo to wendy's juliet and wendy's the ku klux klan does not like does that not in like fact it. tim points that out earlier on when billy finally when billy gets the role of oberon they he's hanging out on the beach and studying uh, lord <laughs> of the fairies <laughs> And, and and Tim says he's an engine. And, yes. and he goes, observant, Tim, real observant. <laughs> and he says, yeah, but a lot of people won't go for that. Yeah. And then in quick succession, Mickey says, I'm okay with it. And Billy says, I'm okay with it too. Yeah. So it's interesting how things have kind of, it, like there's these little moments of tolerance, I should say, in this very Southern high school. Yeah. Uh, amongst this group of friends and so let's see so yes the Ku Klux Klan has decided that they don't like that part of it and then Reverend Bubba Flavel (laughs) has decided to make it his his crusade yes shut down the Shakespeare Festival because of the the filthiness of it and there's more power in numbers so he is totally okay with the Ku Klux Klan supporting their desire to shut this down. Absolutely. And the religious right is also headed up by Beulah Ballbricker. Yep. Once She's again, part of the flock. igniting Tommy's hatred yep. of Ballbricker, leading to his yes. prank of her by putting a snake in the toilet. 
Yep. Which I'm not I think, even sure if that's a thing. Is that like a thing that could happen? It is a thing that can happen. It does happen in Florida. I don't know if it happens now because of the trap that's in toilets, but mm-hmm. pre-trap, that was a very strong possibility that something could come up into your toilet. Wow. Yes. And it, I, I think it, for probably a very small minority of people, it was fatal because it could be a water moccasin or a very poisonous water snake. In the South, uh, that was pretty common. Very true. Okay. So yes, Ball Bricker is part of the flock. She is probably the one who told the church that this was yep, happening. That this was going on. Yes. And it leads to debatably my favorite scene. It's probably my favorite scene. Well, God, you know what? This one, I have to say this. It's tough. I have more favorite scenes in two than I do yes. in one. Yes. But the the fight with Principal Carter and the yes. flock is incredible. He is oh. so sharp. And I, I loved mm. that they mm. what they turn him into and in, in the third movie is is so far removed from how he is in one and two, especially yeah. in two when he is sharp. He is no like you're not pulling no shit over on him. He is passionate and, and he's, he's intelligent and he's cultured. I love that about him and that. Uh, he supports his 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 students. Incredible yeah. scene. I love that scene so much. It's like a rap battle. It is. It's a it's a literal rap battle that goes on between someone quoting Shakespeare and someone quoting the Bible. Yes. And they're both quoting those things so that they can further their cause. Yep. And it's amazing. It's against one, of, it, one another. Yes. Like, the Reverend is quoting another. Shakespeare against the principle, and the principle is quoting the Bible against the religious right. As and proof it, of just yeah. that filth exists, you know, all over the place. Yes. <laughs> so, what kind of man wants to stick a tongue in his in a woman's <laughs> tail? And then they're all like raising their hands. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, I think it's incredible. And I what a courageous thing to do. That scene handled by anyone else, I think, would have been very cliche and i thought it was brilliantly written and done peewee in part one is just i just wanted to punch him in the face and in part two his relationship with wendy after so in at the very end of part one peewee mm-hmm. has lost his virginity finally to wendy williams yeah in the second one he is of course bragging about all the women he slept with even though studiedness yes that basically amounts to one and the boys tell him well you know if you've slept with all these women then you need to share so why don't you get us dates quote with you know some of these girls that you have lying around because he said i've got bodies lined up all over angel beach (laughs) so peewee goes to basically he goes on this hunt to find women in his high school that are of easy virtue yes so when he asks each one of the guys that he knows who are not part of his regular six when he asks each one of them who's the easiest girl in high school someone a real idiot could score with they all say the same name they all say wendy williams so he becomes just incensed by this information and there is a scene that is arguably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is where Pee-wee and Wendy go to hang out in the theater during lunch and talk. And Pee-wee is very angry 
And Wendy mm-hmm. says, you know, why don't you just tell the boys that you've pulled all the members of your harem and none of them want to make it with a bunch of jerks. And he says, well, that's what you would do. And she's like, I don't have a harem. And he said, well, that's not what I heard. And so he tells her, you know, all of these guys are talking about you. And she's like, well, it can't be the first time you've heard that. And he's like, well, that's different because before I wanted it to be true. Now I don't. Mm-hmm. So it gives us this glimpse into he's sensitive to this because he's had sex with her. Yeah. Which is interesting because in part one, he's, he's pretty much 100% a misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll fuck anything. I mean, who will fuck? But, I mean, there is a scene in part one where he talks about fucking two jelly donuts and a, what was it? I don't even remember, but yeah. A melon, I think a melon and two jelly donuts. Anyway. So, so we have this glimpse into, you know, how the fact that he doesn't like them talking about her that way. And yeah. so she reassures him and tells him that her reputation was earned because she watched a bunch of guys go skinny dipping one day. Right. And she and didn't partake. Exactly. And that she's only with, she's only been with three people. She was with some guy that they didn't know at summer camp, which I'm assuming is where she lost her virginity. Yeah. She was with Tommy. Because in the first one, it's pretty obvious that they're dating, sort of, as evidenced by the prom night scene. And then Pee Wee. Right. So they have this really poignant moment. They do. It's really beautiful and it's really well scored. That's the other thing uh, is that all three movies are, well, I don't don't know about, no, I should say all two movies, (laughs) all two movies are scored by Paul Zaza and Carl Zitterer who were Canadian composers who did My Bloody Valentine, mm. Christmas Story, Curtains, Prom Night, and several other um, Bob Clark movies. And okay. what's interesting is that the piece of music that plays when, when um, Pee Wee and Wendy are having their moment also plays in a horror film from 1983 called Curtains. And I knew that piece of music and was like, I know I know that piece of music, right? So finally, and I was like last week years old when I figured this out, is that it's the same composer. So ah. it's the same piece of music, but it's the same composer. That's the only way I knew it. And then, um, yeah. So, but that's one of the, I think that's one of the things I really love about that scene is the music. I agree. It's a very, again, brings a lot of depth to the characters. The scene didn't have to happen, but it's great that it did. There's obviously a little bit of slut shaming that's that uh, evokes because... What, you know, what does it matter if she had slept with a bunch of people? Right. I'm not sure if it was to serve, to make Wendy seem more virtuous or if it was to make Pee-wee seem more, I don't know, respectful or both. I think, I think it's actually to make Pee-wee more respectful because in the same breath, Wendy then says, I do what I want. I don't care what other people think. That's true. Yeah, you're right. And then Pee Wee says, well, don't you care what I think? And she says, yes, but I can't tell you what to think. Yeah, you're right. And part of the reason I love Wendy and I loved Wendy in all three is that she is her own person. Mm-hmm. She is not, quote, one of the guys in that she she doesn't really partake in a lot of the pranking type stuff, but she still is you know, somewhat part of it. But she owns her sexuality mm-hmm. and she is like I said, it's, she's her own person. She has confidence. Uh, she's not, she's not stupid. No, no, no. And she's quick witted. And that's why I love her. Yeah. 
Agreed. And she gets a chance to shine in part two. I mean, it's yes. her the last the last part of that movie. That is her movie. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. The whole play, I think, is fantastic. <laughs> Everyone is brilliant. I love Meets Wines. And c- correct me if I'm wrong, like this is where we find out that Pee Wee's mom is a teacher. She's the drama teacher. Yep, she's the drama teacher. Which I think is just what a great idea. Yeah. And Pee-wee's, she knows him so required. well. What else do we have in part two? We get Bulb Bricker with a little bit more depth as well. Yeah. I actually all of the characters, because all of the characters we get to see that they're willing to do something uncomfortable, like which is be in a play dressed up as women or mm-hmm. fairies or golems or whatever yeah. the hell. And, um, and 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 Meat was Meat was more than happy to, to yeah. put on a dress and just yeah. be like and, and recite lines. Absolutely. And I think it's lips. (laughs) (laughs) And I like Helen. (laughs) And I love that about part two. I I, it's everything ties together and I think it's very well done. Yeah. There's a scene where so they have gotten they they get even with first things first. They invite the school board to come and view Shakespeare and make their own determination as to whether or not it should Shakespeare, you know, night of night of Shakespeare is what it's called at angel beach high should be shut down. So they invite several commissioners and several people running for office. Uh, one of which is commissioner Gephardt County County commissioner of Seward County. Yeah. The commissioner decides that he's going to try and help, you know, the teenagers used loosely um, to to win their battle. But really what he's trying to do is get into the pants of Wendy, who Mm -hmm. for this film is a 17 year old girl. Yes. As established by his aide, who Mm -hmm. is a little disgusted by the fact that and says she's only 17. And he says, well, I guess I'll only put half a notch on my six shooter gross all of the commissioners come and they you know hang out and watch it and it's obviously a big a big deal this the is religious- our introduction to the fact that there is a white supremacy element to absolutely because the clan shows up <laughs> and uh and says that the god-fearing members of the ku klux klan will not stand for this kind of thing and this is a moment we see Ballbreaker stand up to her flock yeah. members or her fellow flock members. As she she says, you know, we denounce this. And, you know, Bubba goes after her and says, he who is not with me is against me. Yeah, we've heard those in recent times, those uh-huh. kinds of phrasings. There it is. There so it is. she realizes you know, that this is not a battle she wants to fight and she right. walks away from it. Yep. She shows her principles. When she walks away from it, the kids actually applaud her. Yeah. Cause you know, but one of the interesting things is that the commissioners, Tim's talking about the history of Florida basically. <laughs> and he says, Wow. He goes, the school board wants to shut down Shakespeare because they think it's filthy. Those guys watch skin flicks in the basement of the courthouse every Sunday. 
Yeah. And then they said commissioner something uh, was caught exposing himself to his Bible school class and they hushed it up. And Wendy says, how do you know that? And Billy goes, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. So, which is kind of that. And I will say this, having lived in Florida my entire life, that's, that's textbook Florida, bro. Yes. It is. Yes. Florida is rife with scandals that get swept under the rug. The gang gets together and records the commissioners making incredibly foul commentary to these porn, these, yes. these stag films, as they're called. Some, some audio capture via mm-hmm. reel to reel. Yep. Yep. Oh, shit. Look at the dick on that one <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> if you got a cape like that, you could give your secretary a flying fuck would be yeah, the other yeah. one. Yeah. So they, which is funny because in the USA version, it's, oh, look at that fancy costume. Oh, I know. I know. Amazing. Like I said, can't remember what I ate lunch, ate for lunch on Thursday, but I do indeed remember the cut dialogue from a sex comedy of the eighties. So (laughs) the commissioner decides that his being reelected is more important than keeping the Shakespeare I kind of wondered if he was truly motivated to help them or Or if if he just wanted to get laid, if he just wanted to get laid. But once the data comes in and he sees what an impact like the religious right uh, being against him would be, he definitely has a reversal of fortunes and is no longer interested. He he basically decides that that's not going to happen. He's not going to help them. So fight. So they decide, the, the gang decides they're going to take revenge on everyone. They everyone. take revenge on the religious right. They yep. take revenge on the Ku Klux Klan. And they take revenge on Commissioner Gebhardt. Wendy which, masterminds that aspect of it. Absolutely. Wendy dresses up in an outrageous getup. Shows Her up spangled banner at dress. A, shows up at a, at a discreet Yes. restaurant in Miami Beach to basically give him a taste of his own medicine. She is way over the top announcing her underage age and the nature of their relationship and um Bobby 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 I can't find my cherry. Did you get my cherry? You can't get a girl's cherry twice. <laughs> I was a brownie in his wife's girl set. Yes. <laughs> and then she she makes a very big point of announcing that he's running for yes. office. Yes. You know, she says, he's the commissioner. He's the county commissioner of Seward County. Brilliant. Just put, brilliant. Put and, shithead's drink on Gephardt's bill. It's then, my uh, birthday today. I'm 17 today. Golly, 17, sweet 17, and never been kissed. Wink, 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 wink. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Honestly, one of one of my family's favorite scenes. Is it? Absolutely. Because I can do that entire scene in character for them, and it makes them laugh every time. So That's a superpower. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> it ain't my SAT scores, I'll tell you that. Uh, oh, and then, so then the Ku Klux Klan... The boys decide that they are going to lure them into, I guess that's the gymnasium. I guess so. Okay. Lure them into the gymnasium. And then with a little help from 
the entire Seminole Indian the nation. entire Seminole population. <laughs> they're going to shave their heads using an instrument that is used uh, to circumcise babies. <laughs> yeah. And they do it. Great. You don't see Fantastic it. Fantastic scene. You don't see it, but they do do it. Yeah. That's kind of like the male nudity I didn't want to see. Yeah. You know, because I, so I guess my question is this. I understand why they have to shave their heads because it's a great scene and it's also poetic justice in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, I did not understand why they had to get naked. <laughs> I still, I don't know. I think, I think maybe. Was it, it is the said, embarrassment factor? Well, I think that's part of it, but I think they said, somebody said that we are going to remove every hair from your body with this. <gasps> oh. I think. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure. That's great. Okay. One of my favorite lines from that is when Tommy says, well, in lieu of a tip, we've decided. <laughs> and then the Ku Klux Klan guy looks at him and goes, Louisville tit? <laughs> Cracks me up every time. Seriously. Like Louisville tit. Louisville tit. Yeah. Ah, great, great scene. So, yeah. So these these Ku Klux Klan members are paraded one by one naked in front of the religious right rally that is going on. Yes. And uh, Bubba is, Reverend Bubba is uh, obviously visibly embarrassed but while well, he's proselytizing yes but when he... they pipe in the audio from the commissioners watching stag films that is the nail in the coffin of that particular uh cause so yes favorite scenes from part two all right so i already talked about the the shakespeare versus bible yep battle that was great but we have to talk about the cemetery scene oh graveyard gloria can't believe we, we totally left that out i apologize we, yes it's okay mm-hmm. save the best for last right A- incredible makeup on thieve yes um Steve. he is gold the mummy he is drunk off his ass <sighs> and dressed up uh, well garbed as a zombie he has absolutely hilarious it's the booze man it's, it's the booze man. deadly <laughs> It keeps making dead puns. Dead puns. Um, and he's he's driven to the cemetery by Brian. Brian, yes. In that amazing car. And his incredible car. Yes. <sighs> and Brian has had his fill of his drunken dead pun humor. One more dead joke, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and the prank goes sideways because the gang of six knows that peewee's doing a prank so they've paid yes. graveyard gloria more money more money to fake a death while yeah. she's having sex with peewee yep this is my issue with peewee in this movie he's fully willing to have sex with gloria and this is after he's had his conversation with wendy about her being a slut. So, I, yeah, Pee-wee is not my favorite character in this movie because of that. Yeah, the prank goes sideways. Gloria <laughs> pretends to die. The gang is, tr- is just trying oh. to hold in there, laughing hysterically ah. as they talk Pee-wee through this scene of, we have to bury her. <laughs> you killed her. You're going to go to jail. <laughs> if a and- woman dies while you're boffing her, you are considered an accomplice. Yes. 
And then we get some two crazy countrymen shooting into the cemetery. And Pee-wee it's some is... damn grave robbers again. Yes. I'm going to mow their heads off. <laughs> Pee-wee is once again running down this running road naked. naked and is once again pulled over. Well, not pulled over this time, but the cops, same two cops drive by. The cops look at each other and they say, hey, remember the last time we <laughs> rode down this road? Laugh, laugh, laugh. And then sure enough. Here comes Steve. And then face plants on the top of their car. Yeah, this scene where they're all trying to suppress their laughter is genius. It's so good. I mean, they're trying to like keep their composure as they're having this conversation and they like turn peewee around because like they can't hold it in. There's only one thing left to do, William. What's that, Thomas? Barrier. 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 And then the music. Music. Pee-wee. It's all right. She probably had a bad heart. (laughs) (laughs) And Meat's laughing. And he said, it could happen to any one of us. Especially you, Meat. Especially you, Meat. So my question about the scene, though, is what was Pee-wee's prank? Pee-wee's prank was what? So if if I have to, just just from what they're talking about. Yes. And just from what we see, I think... That the prank is that is that Graveyard Gloria is going to get them to take their clothes off so yeah. they'll be naked and then Steve is going to jump out and scare them. So the two guys with shotguns are part I don't of the, know. I to don't be either. honest with you, well they have well, they to are be, because again, ten dollars buys hired. you a lot yes. of pranks. <laughs> yes, they're hired for someone's prank. Yes. Whether it's Tommy and Billy or Pee-wee's prank. They are hired for something because it says, yeah, it's an easy $10. And he's like, yeah, hand it over. So obviously <laughs> they, they were hired help of some kind. Seriously? I don't know because it's never really, it's never explained. Brian goes to the carnival to hire Graveyard Gloria, pays her business partner and leaves. And then Tommy and Billy show up with money and then they go in. And then they pay. So no, it, 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 I don't know of the, of, of the two scams. The only one I really know of is the Gloria dying in the middle of it. Did you have a favorite line movie? Honestly, I think it's probably Steve, Steve's entire everything. Yes. Like his I'm, whole, I'm with you on that hundred percent. His, his, his whole set of lines in yes. that scene is fantastic. Like where he's just like, he's like, excuse me, girls, can you, can you recommend a good dermatologist? It's kind of an emergency. <laughs> and they're like, scream at him. And then he's, it's the booze. It's deadly. He says, Oh, don't want to forget my bottle. That would be a grave error. He's really, really funny. Um, yeah. I think I'm with you hundred percent. Like the yeah. whole- when they are sword fighting on the stage, and the sword breaks off and they have to get the leg, which is basically a replica of the leg lamp yes. from Christmas Story, but with a red shoe, not a black shoe. And yep. they're fighting. And Billy goes, my sword, a kingdom for a sword. Bobby, don't leave me. I can't have our baby alone. Yes. All that. Yes. Those are my, those are my favorite. And of course, so say at the shepherds, so say at the flock. That whole thing yes. is fantastic too. So yeah. Yeah. Very quotable. I liked uh, the multiple choice intro to sort of give us the recap of Porky's Oh, what original. is this boy doing? Yes, 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 yes. yes. I love the theme. 
I, I do. I love the Porky's theme because whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, you can't mistake that for anything else. That's true. You know? Yeah. And even though it hasn't aged well, I love uh, Billy's friends giving him grief about his role and the way they oh, go about yeah. it. He's a forest ranger. Forest ranger. Yeah. He kind of guards the woods. Yeah. He's like, you mean like a fairy? He's not just a fairy. He's king of the fairies. And he's very earnest about that scene. Yes. I don't think John Henry is fleshed out very well in the movie. No, he really isn't because we just see that he wants to be in the Shakespeare play. He's actually very good. Yeah. He is part of the Seminole tribe and he gets, and the Ku Klux Klan actually try to shave his head. Right. Try to scalp him is what they tried to do. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of talking at or talking about him. He doesn't mm-hmm. really like contribute a lot himself to who he is. No, I think that they I think that they redeem that element by making the entire seminal population in charge of of, of shaving the heads of, of the Ku Klux Klan and making sure that they don't go anywhere. All right, so Porky's Revenge. Porky's Revenge. Here we go. Yes. Okay, so Porky's back, and this time he's gone nautical. As he basically has created a floating casino slash brothel. And and he's back, and he wants to get the guys to throw the high school playoff game at Angel Beach to forgive the debt that Coach Goodenough has acquired by apparently a gambling Yes. Slash, we're not really sure. So once again, Brian has is our brains. Uh, absolutely. And yes. has figured this out and has overheard a conversation between some of Porky's henchmen and and coach and has determined that coach is in trouble. Yes. Coach they is in are, trouble and needs our help. Yes. And what is our plan to fix that? We're gonna go to Porky's. Yeah, we're going to go to Porky's because Porky's, so Porky's in this movie, Porky has a daughter. Yes, Blossom. Blossom. That we are introduced to. And And she, so she's leaning over her car on the side of the road. And then um, the boys, of course, do a little like, and they go back to try to talk to her. And she turns around and she has a face full of braces and they're like, nope. So they leave meat standing there to help her with her car and she is a very that's another you know what that's another example of the female characters in this in this movie this is actually a character i like because she's very sexually aggressive and very empowered and very empowered absolutely she's like nope you know i know what i want (laughs) and i quote i'm going to ride you jungle beast (laughs) so they figure out that this is Porky's daughter. And what they're going to do is break into Porky's illegal casino and take pictures of these things. Unfortunately, they get caught by Porky and Porky's henchmen. And in exchange, agree to throw the uh, high school playoff basketball game and also that coaches... uh, Yeah, will be released. Yes. On the way... (laughs) On the way there, uh, lots of things happen that are not as eventful as one and two. I should say not as memorable. I I remember them just because I know them, but I don't, they're, they're not like, LOL, hilarious, you know, they're kind of just like, oh, they're filler. I mean, 
the boy you know the guys were right when they referred to this as a paycheck movie yes you know the the solid camaraderie is still there it is the finishing each other's sentences that somewhat is still there mickey and tim are absent they've they are no longer part of that cast they're gone yeah um so it's basically just peewee brian tommy and billy and me and wendy of course but wendy's not really featured that much in this movie either she suddenly is not peewee's girl anymore nope she gets caught with the boys. They decide that they somehow find us. Well, they, they get a stag film from someone's cousin and decide that they're going to watch it in the audiovisual room. Yep. Uh, thanks to Billy, who is the head of the audiovisual club. <laughs> and, you know, and it's your typical black socks, you know, naked people stag film. And Bob Bricker catches them and turns it over to um, to Principal Carter. And Principal Carter says that he cannot make a determination about this until he's seen the film in its entirety. Right, because the argument is made that it's an artistic it's film. It's an art film. And she Sweden. only saw, yeah, by Sven... 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 Slinken. And... <laughs> That Paul Bricker only came in at the part where, you know, they had all their Exactly. It's true. There is some nudity. (laughs) But before the principal actors disrobed, they were fully clothed. (laughs) Yeah. And the principal buys this because he's now an idiot. Yeah, they kind of turned him into almost like like a like a senile. Yeah, he's aloof and sort of i mean you get that in the original the original porkies that he is a guy's guy because he breaks down laughing when that paul bricker suggests having a penile lineup and to 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 identify his tally whacker tommy's tally whacker please can we call it a tally whacker penis is so personal (laughs) As he uh-huh. stammers his way through his line. Yes. And this one, he is just... If the idea was that he's just trying to protect the boys, that's not portrayed very well. He just seems pretty out of touch and aloof. Yeah, he does kind of seem like uh, Eric Christmas was probably trying to put the great-grandkids through school. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It's good to have him because he's... Yes. He's a great actor in general, Absolutely. and I'm sure he made the most of it. I mean, the thing about part three that's interesting is that it was directed by James Comack. James Comack was a television director who had done Welcome Back, Cotter. Specifically. Oh, really? Okay. Now, James Comack is no longer with us, so I can talk shit. During the time that he filmed Welcome Back, Cotter, he made it his mission to turn the actors against one another so that he could control them. Specifically, he controlled Gabe Kaplan and the woman who played his wife, Julie, by turning them against each other and making their working environment horrible. And then another reason I hate James Comack is because when he wanted to do this movie, he basically said, I'm going to return it to its sex comedy roots. Bob Clark wanted to add a message to one and two. There is no message in three, end quote, which is funny because it shows that there is no message in three. It does. 
Because there's no heart. No, and it's almost like where Bob Clark created one and two based on his experiences. It feels like somebody tried to emulate Bob Clark, but didn't have those experiences. So it just comes off as fake. Or didn't have the talent and the wit to back it up. All of those things I think are true. All of those things are missing. Yeah. Yeah. Along the lines, like they tell the girls that are the cheerleaders. Yeah, Such a stupid prank. It, Such it's a, a, it's, it makes really so little sense. So convoluted. Like just leave it at where, you know, if we win, you gotta, we gotta have an orgy. Okay. Whatever. And right. like the whole pool thing is so weird and complicated. And I'm like, what is this? Like, not to mention the women are not wearing fifties bathing suits. They're right. wearing eighties bathing suits. Exactly. Now, um, the other thing is unless a guy is just blind, like blind, yes. they would be able to tell if someone is underwater and naked yes. versus having a bathing suit on, you know, right. um, the only funny things about that were like the fact that meat can't swim. <laughs> Yeah, he goes straight down. He goes straight down. And then when they're getting out of the pool and Tommy and, you know, they're trying to, which, okay, there's, a, that's another thing that is introduced and is literally never talked about again, is they're about to get out of the pool. Wendy and Inga, Inga played by 1984 Playman of the Month, Kim Evanson, decide that they're going to make a movie and the guys are going to get out of the pool and they're going to be naked and they're going to take, you know, going to take a movie of them, right? That's never talked about again nope that is that is introduced tiny tiny like gone completely gone but it also has my favorite tommy line which is well what the hell i always wanted to be a star and he gets out of the water and of course i was i used to freeze frame the shit out of that movie i was like oh oh my god (laughs) tommy turner's penis like there's moments like that and for the most part it's it's pretty the the only thing i really dug about this movie as far as like a scene that I thought was hilarious and it's probably because I'm a fucking sick person is Neat can't pass his biology exam Mm. uh, and is failing biology because and this is kind of cool because like we learn things about Meat in this movie that we didn't know about him before right he's this big brutish guy like he's this big brutish guy but he really doesn't like dissecting animals Right. And it makes him queasy and sick. And he doesn't, you know, he's a good basketball player, you know, and he wants to play basketball, but he doesn't really want it. And he's also really not into taking advantage of women. Right. Because even though Blossom throws herself at him, literally and figuratively, he is not interested. Yeah. And so, um, and he's not really interested in any, in all three of those movies, if you think about it, like, yeah, He's there's a couple of scenes where Meat is like in the background talking to girls, mm-hmm. but like, you know, other than like he's part of the group and let go to the swamp house in the first movie. So he's down with it. But yeah, he's not like his reputation, like Wendy's is like ill. Oh, it's to- pretty much just like you're a big guy with a big cock and that's yeah. it, you know, yeah. but like you have a reputation. Probably- probably doesn't have the harem of women that right you know other uh, other other gentlemen in that crew probably have is the fact that meat can't pass his biology exam because he has a really cunty biology teacher uh named miss webster and miss webster is currently having sex with i think it's the school chaplain 
I'm not even sure. I thought it was a guidance counselor, but if you look at the, if you look at his, you know, plate or whatever, it actually does say school chaplain. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's a, that's a thinker, a uh, Dobish and Dobish is in part two as one of the congressmen. Oh, really? He's one of the commissioner, or excuse me. He's one of the commissioners. Oh, I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Yep. He plays, he's double duty. Cause he's in that one. And then he plays, he, he plays Dobish in this one. And so they decide that they're going to steal the exam to help meet. And, uh, they end up going back to miss miss Webster's apartment where miss Webster and Dobish are having an affair and mm-hmm. acting out a very creepy, weird scenario. <laughs> yeah. She's a Dom. Yes, she is. She is. She is a dom, and he is clearly a submissive. Yeah. And uh, and then they play Mac the knife in the background. Which That's you know, crazy. it's a funny scene. The boys are stuck in the apartment while all yeah, this is they're happening. trapped in the apartment. They yeah. can't, you know, and and they're watching this weird thing play Unfold. out. Yeah. I'll be um, the southern bartender, and you can be the alcoholic, impotent monk who just escaped from the monastery. To which he replies with, "Oh, goody." I love that one. Yeah, they go from breaking into a classroom to breaking into an apartment, all to find the answers to this exam so meat can pass. I have so many issues with this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so give me, I want to hear this though. I really do, because I'm sure it's going to bring up some of my issues too, because there's a lot of stuff like this movie is just in there. You know what I mean? Like one and two I have such a reverence and such a love for there are things I do enjoy and like about part three. Obviously it's not going to be completely negative, but for the most part, it misses the mark. It does. So for me, the plot is silly, silly in the regard as you have, we start out with coach being indebted to Porky simple enough. And the boys go to Porky's it's now a gambling boat to try and, and sort this out. We have, you know, Blossom, Porky's daughter, who is in love with meat and they get caught, like you said, and the scheme is, okay, well, we got to throw the game. Coach gets off the, you know, ticket with Porky and all is good with the world. They get back to the school and Coach gives them a speech and then they're like, well, we can't lose the game. And then Meat can't play, so they're going to lose the game. Problem solved. Meat just doesn't play the game, and everything is fine. Porky gets what he wants. Coach is off the hook. And we lost legitimately because Meat wasn't able to play because he lost biology. Instead, they have all of these schemes to still try to win the game and free Coach from his burden, which I think is just silly. Like, the problem was solved for you, yet you turn it into this incredible stupid caper that you didn't even know was going to play out in the way you thought it was going to play out your plan was to steal some answers and you wound up having to blackmail two people and it's just so weird uh and i think it's just carelessly written and carelessly written i like that yeah it was like things happen to perpetuate the story but they're not memorable and then i have issues with the fact that we have built the camaraderie between this group over There's pranks, mind you, between them all, but nothing cruel. Mm -mm. But then now in this movie, we have Tommy rushing to get to Inga, who he thinks is Inga. 
before ah. Pee-wee. Pee-wee's going to sleep with Inga. He thinks it's Inga. But Tommy, you know, Pee-wee's like tells Tommy and then Tommy gives him a bunch of bullshit advice and runs over to the hotel to sleep with Inga. Right. Pret- Flowers and candy. Yeah. No. Show up no. like a man. Yes. And so uh, I think that's really like gross, like that Tommy would do that. And while pretending to be Pee-wee. And true, actually. Very and true. at the same time, like like an incredibly cruel thing to do to Ballbricker. Yes. And the redemptive story for that is just barely touched on. Like the scene where they show up at the mansion and then the beach scene between Ballbreaker and Snooky. Snooky. Mm-hmm. You know, it's shot in slow motion. You get this the weepy, windy weepy. And it's just so, I'm like, ugh, I hate all of you right now. <laughs> it's just so gross. I feel like there's a little bit of out of character for the for our main cast that isn't true to who they established that they were i will agree with you on that i feel like part three had way more kind of cringe moment yeah i should say i mean although i will say this like uh, like the scene the the scene where uh, you know tommy goes to the hotel room thinking he's with inga it's like are you seriously like did your hands get cut off <laughs> right because no offense to ball Burker, but i think she had that, lost a lot of weight but that, she had that lost a weight. lot of weight uh, but i will say that i don't think any man would be would not be able to tell the difference between a playboy playmate yeah and nancy parsons yeah god rest her soul the things i like about part three are kind of funny and they're not story oriented so that's interesting give me some examples i love the soundtrack for part three like i love high school nights that's one of my favorite songs has been one of my favorite songs since i was a kid because of this movie i mean like i would hear it and be like oh you know like oh dave edmonds high school nights okay and i remember what a big deal it was to like find it on an mp3 back in the day on like limewire and now it's everywhere you know i can get it on spotify if i want and uh i like i do like the soundtrack to it like as far as like do you want to dance and yeah and that particular song i like the scenery i love florida in that time period and i like the way it was shot so Mm. i do i do like a lot of the cinematography in all three movies and i do like the look of three three really looks like an 80s movie it does if you really look at it it definitely has more of a gloss to it look wise i'd like to say that i like the fact that they get to get even with porky by like destroying his boat but it's not this it's just not the same as part one where they destroy the you know the shack so to speak it Um, feels uh yeah like in part one it feels very validating yeah part three it's just this is what we have to do this is like Porky. You have to destroy his boat or his casino or whatever he has. We just have to do that. Yeah, it's almost like okay, we we're we're here. It's a paycheck movie. We're clearly trying to put our kids through school. Yeah. Um, you know that kind of thing. And I, it wasn't the same. You know, I oh, one of the things I like about it is the scene where they're telling Principal Carter that he can't use the projector because the projector is tied up with. With the safety movie. Yeah. Safety films. <laughs> when you go to cross the street, watch out where you put your feet. 
look both ways and be alert because if a car hits you it's gonna hurt safety safety yeah that whole that whole scene when they like play off of each other and sing together i love hygiene means we all keep clean (laughs) okay so i do i still like their relationship to each other and their friendship to each other but the storyline is garbage so I'll say that the storyline for three is shit and you can tell that James Comack did it and you can tell that James Comack's goal was achieved, which was to have no message at all. There were definitely elements of the movie that I really liked, but for the most part, it just, I thought the acting was flatter. And again, that's probably because it was just a paycheck and they probably didn't have a good relationship probably that they had with Bob Clark. You know, it probably felt a lot of, it probably felt very weird for a lot of them to, yeah, absolutely. Have, to have a new director with a very familiar storyline. I, I agree with you about the, the score. The only part for me where it felt very out of place was like the montage of sabotaging the boat. Yeah. Like yes. I was like, it, this is so, it just doesn't, this sounds weird. Did not like it. Did you have a favorite line from this movie? Probably what the hell I always wanted to be a star okay. because of my you know, love. obsession with Wyatt Knight and, and Tommy and Billy singing the, the safety song. Okay. That would be it. Yeah. My two lines. I don't know what about them. They were not like, they were just like background lines similar to like Pee Wee blurting out. He does this all the time was somebody says to Pee Wee, I don't know who said it to Pee Wee, but it's when they're pulling up on Blossom and Pee Wee's getting excited. And he says, you don't lick her waist. That's not one of the designated areas. I thought that was funny. Oh, that's right. Because Pee Wee says, I want to lick her waist. I could lick her waist. That is a line that he says. Okay, now I remember. And then I loved Wendy's line during when they're getting busted for the stag film. And she says, uh, Mr. Carter, I will not stand here and be accused of having a boner. Having a boner. Just more empowerment for Wendy. She's so incredible. Love her to death. Do. My favorite character is Grandma. We we are introduced to Pee Wee's Grandma. Yes. Pee-wee's grandma. I totally forgot about that. Where she takes, <laughs> she hits him with the bread. Where she takes the Cuban bread and then she busts it over his head. She's like, "Now eat." I already broke the bread for you. It's great. It's great. She has like such animosity towards him, and I think it's so incredible. And, it is and she's like not him. fooled. Like she's no, not she's fooled. not. She's like, she's like, she's like, what's that boy over at the window doing? He's like, oh, he's trying to get pictures for his class. And it is only from my window that he can get those pictures. (laughs) But she really likes me. Oh, yeah. And then at the end, when when uh, their graduation actually is happening, she's like, there's something wrong with that. (laughs) You raised me a strange grandson. (laughs) That's that's poor history. That's it. That's Porky's three. Okay, so I we would There's be- one little thing. Oh, okay. One little thing. One little thing. This is the difference between the Bob Clark movie and this guy's movie. Mm-hmm. When they're pulling up this is this is this is humor in my perception of humor. <laughs> when they're pulling up on Blossom, they drive past, right? And I think in this movie you hear the brakes squeal, you hear the car come in reverse fast, and then they pull up beside her. If Bob Clark had done it, it would have been much funnier. The car would have driven past you out of frame and the camera would have stayed on Blossom for a few seconds and then it would have just rolled back in. No sounds, 
no brakes squealing. Right, exactly. The car would have just rolled backward right. into the scene real just slow. Rolled right back. Mm -hmm. But no, this guy put in the brake squeal and the, yeah, I think that's the little nuance that tells you the difference between the two. So we're in agreement. James Comack can eat a dick. Rest he in can. peace, sir. Yes, yes. So, well, speaking of rest in peace, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the tragedy of, unfortunately, of some people that were such principal players in this film. But uh, so Bob Clark had a uh, poker game with these guys that was once a week, every, every, every week for 22 years. <laughs> and then one night he was taking his son, Ariel, home from the, from the poker game. And a drunk driver went over the median on Pacific Coast Highway and killed both of them instantly. And so we lost... We, we lost Bob Clark um, and his son and completely senseless, fucked up tragedy. Uh, and that was April 4th of 2007. And then uh, in 2003, Wyatt Knight, Tommy Turner had a bone marrow transplant for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. In 2011, being left with physical and emotional pain, he decided to take his own life. October 26, 2011. So we lost him. And I listened to an interview between him and Dan Monahan, and they said, you know, we text or talk, you know, twice a day. And so they were best friends up until up until wow. that. And um, same thing with Billy, Mark Harrier. He was interviewed and said that, you know, we all stayed best friends. We got married a month or two away from each other. We had children three or four months apart from each other. So they maintained that friendship and that camaraderie and that loyalty towards one another up until, you know, up until Wyatt's passing. And they, you know, now, you know, Dan Monahan's, you know, he's retired and married and like plays golf and, you know, does all that kind of stuff. And according to Mark Harrier, he's actually following his grandchildren wherever his grandchildren move to. He moves. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's lived in like all these places. But like currently, I think he lives in uh, Pennsylvania. Mm. So then and then Mark Harrier is on Bosch. You know, everybody else is, you know, moved on since then, but that they they do still maintain those friendships after all those years. That's, that's incredible. That's, Which is that's, just wonderful. That is. The only documentaries we have about the Porky's trilogy really are the, you know, behind the scenes uh, featurettes and things that we get on. Right. Um, on the DVD extras. Uh, shout out to physical media. Because honestly, we wouldn't have that if we, if we, you can't, as much as streaming services are awesome and we do have this great library of things like, it's not the same as putting in a DVD or a Blu-ray and getting to watch a director commentary or getting to watch yeah. behind the scenes or getting to watch, you know, any kind of featurette where are they now type situation, you know, which is why I, I like having all of these, but there is no Porky's box set necessarily. There is a Porky's three, you know, one of those ones where like, the it's like one is on one side and two is on the other you yes. know like those types of dvds so there's like a little dvd box but nothing particularly with like behind the scenes or special edition type stuff i mean that's unfortunate oh yeah did you hear that noise <laughs> 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 No, you're just going to add the dog in right before you say it anyway. So, okay. Yes. I heard something. 
We do have a shout out. Our shout out this uh, this time around is for Jiffy Pop Culture. Jiffy Pop Culture is a podcast that does lots of wonderful cult cinema. Isla and Frank host the show. It's very funny. It's very witty. It's a wonderful way to pass your day. So yes, Isla and Frank on Jiffy Pop Culture. Here is your shout out. And where can we find this podcast? We can find that podcast on Spotify. Okay. on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that podcasts are available. They are also on Instagram under Jiffy Pop Culture. Awesome. Thank you. And you can also find us, that is Ron and myself, on the Manic Movie Monday podcast. Mostly you. Right, mostly me. <laughs> That's right. Triple M has an Instagram page, and it's the only social media either of us have, so... You should mm. definitely look into it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all we need to say about the Porky's trilogy because we kicked it at two hours and 10 minutes, my friend. As long as the third movie felt. Oh, that's funny. This episode is dedicated okay. to my father and my father's memory.